0: Thank you, Donna, and uh, thank you, Cynthia, for picking out the songs this morning. I think sometimes that um, some of the songs we sing, and most of them always work well with the sermon, and I noticed that not only today, but also with Pastor Roger's sermons, maybe we should underline in the verses that we sing certain Themes and so that come up in the sermon and you have an outline before the sermon is even preached but um, it's uh, wonderful how that all coordinates together and I think probably the Holy Spirit has quite a bit to do with that anyway in a few moments we're going to be reading from John chapter 9 the first 12 verses and you may want to turn to that but uh, let me say a few words as introduction Uh, before we read that passage. Dear fellow workers in God's kingdom, happy Labor Day, happy Labor Day. I don't know if anybody has said that to you yet, but tomorrow is Labor Day, and today encompasses what people call Labor Day weekend, the last hooray of the summer, so to speak. And so enjoy the day off tomorrow, if you're still part of the workforce. And in some way, all of us are, if we're engaged in any kind of work, any kind of task, no matter how menial you may think that is, or where it's performed. What is work? What is work? I looked it up in the dictionary, and it says, work is any activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or a result. Any activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or a result. So when you think about it, that kind of encompasses everything, everything we do. But unfortunately, many of us often reduce the activity of work to a specific place for a specific time. And when that place or that time is not part of the equation, then we say, I'm off from work. Or we say, we're retired. I'm done with all of that. And as we're all aware, the activity of work, where we work and how we work and how long we work has made some major changes in the last couple of years, especially since the COVID epidemic has influenced our lives. It used to be when one entered the workforce, it was usually at a specific age, in a specific place, for a specific time. And an individual made a career out of their job or vocation, often putting in many years at the same job and taking advantage of vacations at their job allowed, building up some retirement savings, and then retiring at the time when reaching an appropriate age or an appropriate time spent at that job. But for many, that routine has changed. I'm reminded how history, television, portrayed work. Maybe you remember the Leave it to Beaver show many years ago. Ward Cleaver left his wife, June, and sons, Wally and the Beaver every morning, briefcase in hand, drove to his office in nearby a nearby metropolitan city in his Plymouth automobile, always dressed in a suit and a tie. June was a stay-at-home mom, always dressed in a dress, usually with an apron on, and stayed home to direct the lives of Wally and the Beaver. And if they got into some minor trouble during the day, Ward, on his return home from work, would have a family meeting and iron things out. That was the routine, that was the, routine. That was the plot of, of those shows airing between 1957 and 1963. And that was the picture, by and large, of work, going to work, specific time, specific place, and then coming home. The seven dwarfs... They had a song about work, too. Hi-ho, 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 hi-ho. It's off to work we go. And they would dig, dig all day for diamonds in the diamond mine. And then after the work-a-day world, it was again, hi-ho, hi-ho, hi-ho. It's home from work we go. Those were the pictures of work, typical work. But those routines, as I've said, have changed. Our society has changed. Our concept of work, going to work, going to a workplace, has made some major overhauls that we're all aware of. Today, we hear abbreviations like WFH, work from home. Or we hear families say, I can work from anywhere because I can work remotely. Or we hear words like, let's have virtual meeting. Let's have a virtual meeting, since I can't make it in today. How about four 10-hour days rather than five 8-hour days so we can have more time to ourselves? The home laptop has replaced the office outside of the home. And the workforce has changed as well. Technology has cut the need for individuals to run machines. Government incentives and stimulus checks and other tax credits have enticed people to stay home rather than apply for a job. Employees have become more demanding and management has had to scale back their demands. We ride around the streets of of our neighborhoods and we see hiring signs all over the place. Employers begging for someone to apply and saying when they can't find anyone, help is hard to find. And we hear comments like, don't work too hard, take it easy, don't let anybody tell you what to do, hold out for the most benefits. It used to be that the average person I read somewhere spent about 70,000 hours at work during their lifetime. And that has changed. Many hate their job, hate their fellow employees, and jump around in the job market to find that perfect job. Loyalty to a specific company and dedication to doing the best job possible has often taken a back seat. So how do we approach work? And when I say we, I'm referring to Christians. God's people, we of all people know that work is something that we are to be active in every moment of our lives, God's work, God's work, and in everything we do in this life is God's work, no matter where we are, and we need to remember that. And of course, we have an example in God himself who worked six days and then rested the seventh day after creating the heavens and the earth. And Jesus, from an early age, knew that he had to be about his father's work and was obedient to his earthly father and mother till actively engaging in his father's will. And that calls us as well to be active in everything we do as Christians, to do our Father's will, leaving behind the world's distorted notions and ideas of what work really is. As Romans 12 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we have a choice. We can let the world define our purpose for work and how we ought to be working, or we can choose God's plan, God's purpose for work. And God's purpose for work is to bring Him glory. God's purpose for our work, no matter what we do, is to bring him glory and the best way to do that is by revolving our lives around the Lord Jesus Christ Colossians says and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to God the Father through him ultimately I can't emphasize that enough because I think sometimes we forget that Ultimately, in everything we do, we're working for the Lord. As I said, the world doesn't look at work that way, but Christians do and ought to, and we have the resources that enable us to look at work that way because we're led by the Spirit. Turn with me to John 9. Read the first 12 verses. From John 9, story of Jesus healing a man born blind. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he is born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sin, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said, that, said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes." Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. This is the word of the Lord. The text is verse 4. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. I chose this passage because it has a lot to say about our attitude towards work. Here's the situation. Jesus is nearing the end of his life. The cross and suffering for our sins is getting closer and closer. He's been busy throughout his years on earth teaching and healing, and especially preparing his disciples to continue his work when he ascends to heaven. And so here in these 12 verses of John's gospel, Jesus is still at work, and he shows his disciples by example how he, Jesus, is a worker and how they should approach work. It leads me to think that everything we do involving our mental or our physical effort for accomplishing a purpose is seen here in what Jesus does for this blind man. So picture yourself going off to work, staying at home, going out shopping, engaging in retirement, being in school, or whatever other activities that keeps you busy during the day. And in all those activities, you're going to see people, fellow employees, friends, relatives, whomever. And here's what to keep in mind. And I see that particularly in this passage. We're going to encounter people. John Donne once wrote, No man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is part of the domain. If a clod be washed away from the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, because I am involved in mankind. We're involved in mankind. God created us to be in community amongst others. And he created jobs and retirement times and fellowship times. Whatever we're involved in, he created us that way. And work involves all of those areas because we put our mental activities to work when we're engaged With other people whether we're talking whether we're working next to someone at the workplace wherever that is whether we're living in a retirement home we are involved with one another and three things I think that stick out in this passage three things that in all situations not conforming to the world the Christians approach to every situation anywhere any place any time under all conditions i think these three things is what we ought to keep in mind kind of put them in the front of your mind if you will not on the back burner but front and center first be compassionate and secondly be practical and third be intentional first be compassionate be compassionate And sometimes that means clearing out any prejudices that that block us from being compassionate. It happened here in this passage. Jesus is encountering this blind man. And right away the disciples say, they don't think of compassion. They don't think of reaching out to this blind man. They don't say to Jesus, can you do something? They say, what's the problem here? Did this guy sin or did his parents sin? You see, there was a notion in, in those days, in the theology of that day, that if a person was, was hard up, was unemployed, was handicapped, didn't have any resources to live a decent life, that somehow his sin was so bad that God was punishing him. And if they didn't see any immediate sin in that particular person, then that theology of that day said, well, it must have been handed down from the parents. He inherited his bad luck because of his parents. And you can see how that then stood in the way of compassion. And sometimes I think, speaking for myself, that creeps into our thinking as well. If we see somebody that's down in the dire straits, they don't have the resources, they don't have anything to rely on, we think and we judge maybe sometimes that person, well, tough. You obviously didn't work as hard as I did. I'm not going to have any compassion for you. I'm going to judge you. Now, maybe I'm talking to an audience that is always compassionate, but I don't think so. Sometimes, and we try to fight those kind of things in our lives, but sometimes we judge other people, people that aren't exactly like us, and we kind of avoid them. And when we do that, our compassion is often put on the back burner, is often non-existent. Now, we should all recognize, and I think we do, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, Jesus, at this point, he doesn't go into a lot of explanation of of God allowing suffering and why God allows suffering. We all have those kinds of questions. Why did this man have to suffer blindness for so long? No, Jesus uses this occasion to teach a lesson on the equality of all people. Ephesians says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in God he has forgiven you. So don't analyze everything when it comes to your fellow co workers or people that you'd rather not talk to. Don't judge. Don't criticize. And I'm not saying this is easy. Be compassionate. Be compassionate. Jesus didn't answer the disciples' questions about where that sin came from. He turned their attention to the need. Be compassionate. And Jesus simply says, this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So we need to be that agent of bringing God's glory into the working place. What's the work of God? To bring glory to himself, to believe in him, to trust his word, to obey his commandments and to follow them. And of course Jesus is our model. So how does that give us direction as how to approach the work that we do no matter what it is? It means to realize that we are in our specific jobs to bring glory to God. We're in the classroom to bring glory to God. We're in the retirement home to bring glory to God. We're in our retirement activities to bring glory to God. Every situation, every task, no matter how menial we might think it is, we are to bring glory to God. And when we're compassionate, and when we show our compassion, then we're being Jesus' examples, and then we are being compassionate. No talk of I hate this job. I hate the people I work for. I hate the people I work with. I can't wait till I retire. Compassion and forgiveness. And I see that evident in this congregation, in the household of faith. And that's really where it should begin. Secondly, not only be compassionate, but be practical. Practical. Compassion is sometimes a feeling, but compassion is only effective if it leads to practicality. Be practical. Jesus doesn't just talk about compassion. He immediately shows compassion. He heals the blind man. Now, we haven't been given that power to miraculously heal people. However, we can reveal God's grace to others in a multitude of tangible ways. We can let our fellow workers know through acts of kindness that we care for them. I'm always touched when I hear somebody that's someone that's caught in hardship or in some catastrophe that, that has affected an employee or some other company personnel and their fellow employees often reach out to help. They start a fund to help with medical costs perhaps or, or find other tangible ways to come alongside. And when you hear that on the news, it always kind of brings a bit of a joy to my heart. Recently, I ran into someone whom I hadn't seen in a long time. And we ran into each other in a place and at a time where we normally would would not have encountered one another. And I made some small talk with that person, but I noticed in the tone of his voice that there was something not quite right. And so I I asked him, is there something wrong? And he replied, I've been diagnosed with cancer, and I'm meeting with the surgeons tomorrow, and I don't know what they're going to do about it. And I expressed my concern. And I told him that it was no coincidence that, that we had happened to be in the same place at the same time where we don't normally see each other. And I shared with him that the, the Lord had a plan for his life and, and that the Lord would walk beside him through this new journey. And I assured him that I'd stay in touch as well. Our compassion needs to be practical. When you sense something, when you're talking to someone, when you're visiting someone, ask. Ask how you can be there beside that person. I've always been aware, and I'm sure you have too, but I haven't always seized the opportunity that there are no coincidences in life. Everything happens for a purpose. And we're all engaged in a vocation, a job, a retirement activity, or a school, and people, as I said, come into our lives for a purpose. And look for those opportunities to share God's grace. It just could transform their lives, and I know it'll transform yours. It wasn't a coincidence that Jesus met the blind man that day, had compassion and healed him. Be compassionate, be practical, thirdly, be intentional. Be intentional. Someone has said that in life there are three th- there are things you can do, there are things you would like to do, there are things you hope to do. And there are things you desire to do and there are things you must do. Sometimes we get caught up in those four things that we can, would like to, hope to, desire to. But what about the things that we must do? That's intentional. That's not an option. That's intentional. There are things in life we must do. Jesus says in John 9, verse 4, the text for this morning, talking to his disciples, we must, must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. I think that's kind of a scary verse. Many folks today go on with life as if it's never going to end. They deny that they'll ever that they'll ever die. And even if they think about life ending, they don't really talk about it. Jesus was intentional in his work right up to the time that he died on the cross. He was intentional. And when you're intentional, there are musts, musts that need to be done. And musts are actions Even as a 12-year-old child, you know the story. Jesus knew that he had to be about his father's business. And he told his parents, when they came back looking for him, thinking that he was with them, but he was really back in the temple yet, he told them, don't you know that I must be about my father's will? The must for Jesus was to die for the sins of God's people, The must for Jesus was to preach the good news of the coming of God's kingdom. The must for Jesus was to love others. Jesus didn't pick and choose. He knew he had to be intentional in all of those works. Jesus' must and the must of his life went together. And he was intentional about it. We sometimes get caught up in the shoulds of life, shoulda of life. I should have done this. I should do this. But all that does is is postpone doing anything. Why were the musts so important to Jesus? Because as our verse says, night is coming. Night is coming when no one can work. Two things about night there. Two things about night. There's going to be a a time when all things are going to end historically. The world is going to come to an end. The world at an appointed time is going to cease to exist as we know it. We don't know exactly how. We don't know exactly when. We don't know exactly how it's all going to happen. But the end of all things is going to happen. That will be night when our work and God's work will be over. The invitation of the gospel to come to Jesus will be over, it's night, it's the end. But I think secondly, and maybe even more importantly, I believe that night also refers to a new dark age. A new dark age as barbarians coming to invade us. The barbarians invaded Christian Rome, in 406 AD eradicated Christianity in Rome and someone wrote these words listen to them carefully he wrote the barbarians are coming and he likened this to the onrush of paganism and immorality in our society and he wrote they are coming in science through the misuse of new discoveries They are coming in communications as men discover other ways to manipulate public opinion for bad ends. They are coming in the religious realm as institutional Christianity increasingly gives ways to the occult and Satanism, obscuring the vitalities of revealed religion which will detour churchgoers from piety and saintliness and in the so-called enlightened nations Not only will multitudes soon relapse to a retrograde morality, but churchgoers will live in Corinthian immorality, churchmen will encourage situational ethics, and the line between the Christian and the worldling will scarce be found. This was written, predicted, by Carl F. Henry over 35 years ago. We're in that new dark age and we are to work for the night is coming. Those that we encounter daily who need our compassion, who need our intentionality, who need our practical outreach before the end of time or before the end of their lives. So at your work, Wherever that is, home, school, a job, retirement, work, for the night is coming. Be intentional. Let your musts direct your work. No retirement at 65. The night is coming. But for God's people, that's not the end of it. The barbarians don't win, because over the horizon, the light of the world is shining. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, and can I add, works with compassion, works practically, and works intentionally, they will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Happy Labor Day. Work at your job as if working for Jesus because you are. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have so linked our lives one with another that all we do affects, for good or ill, all other lives. So guide us in our work In the work we do, that we may do it not for self alone, but for the common good. And as we seek a proper return for our labor, make us mindful of the right aspirations of other workers and arouse in us our concern for those who are out of work. Teach us, Lord, to be compassionate and practical and intentional working out the must that you have for us as we work in your kingdom each and every day. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray this, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.